Turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, it can be found on page 1023 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1023 in the Pew Bible in front of you. We're going to look at verses 6 through 12. So 1 John 5, 6 through 12. First John 5, 6-12. This is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we read this text this morning, as we begin to meditate upon it and think upon it, I pray that you would stir our hearts to love Jesus more because of it. That it would cause us to believe and to to hold fast to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Imagine you are in a courtroom, and you are on the jury. I don't get called to jury duty very often. In fact, I've actually never been on a jury. But imagine you are on this jury, and the question that is before you is this. How do you know or discern what is true? How do you know or discern what is true? As you, as you sit there, hearing the testimony after testimony after testimony, you begin to put the pieces together. The evidence and testimony on one side all lines up. All the witnesses are saying the the same thing. And it's becoming clear to you what is true and which side you should believe. In a similar way, in in our text this morning, John is communicating this to us. I want you to imagine yourself in a courtroom as we work through this text. We're going we're to see this played out for us. Because in our passage, John is answering the question, Who does God say Jesus is? And, and then, what difference does it make for us? So who does God say Jesus is? And then, what difference does that make for us? So first, consider with me God's testimony concerning Jesus. God's testimony concerning Jesus Christ. Look with me at verses 6 through 9. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For this is the testimony that 
God has borne concerning his son. So after, after declaring in the previous section that the one who has been born again, that the true Christian, the true genuine Christian, believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, they love God and other believers, and they obey God's commands, John now reflects upon the object of our faith. Right? So the object of our faith. And as we said last week, there is content that must be believed concerning Jesus. And the first and primary question that we ask, and we asked this last week, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so we know the importance of this question, and we, we know how to answer it, and we recognize that it has eternal significance. How we answer the question concerning who Jesus is has eternal significance. And we'll get to that shortly. The reason why that question is so important, is that God has given us His testimony concerning Jesus. We see this in verses 6-9. through nine. Jump down to verse 9 again. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning His Son. So, so imagine... Imagine that courtroom. John is declaring who Jesus is, who God says that Jesus is, and, and he calls three witnesses to the stand. The first witness he calls to the stand to testify to Jesus being the Christ, the Son of God, is the water. He calls the water to the stand. Verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. So, the water. The water testifies concerning the identity of Jesus. When John says the water, you might be wondering to yourself, what, what, the water? What, what are you referring to? I take it as a reference to Jesus' baptism. There have been many interpretations in, in the history of in the church history. If you're interested in, interested in hearing some of those, I'll, I'll share some of those with you individually or afterwards. Um, some of these, some of those are possible, but I don't think they're plausible. Okay, so I'm taking this as a reference to Jesus' baptism. As we have observed, historical context and setting sheds light on the issues that the church was initially facing. It's likely that the false teachers in John's day were seeking to make a case that the Christ, the Son of God, came upon Jesus at his baptism and then left prior to his death. So the Son of God comes upon Jesus at his baptism and then leaves him before he dies. That, that, that was the, possibly the idea that they were teaching in this first early, in the early church as far as a false teaching that had, had come in from Within. In other words, Jesus didn't become the Christ until his baptism, and then Jesus was no longer the Christ after his death. That, that, was, the, that was the teaching that was going around. But John says here that Jesus Christ came by water or through water. 
And so for Jesus to come by the water or through the water means that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, prior to his baptism and after his baptism. Listen, listen to what John says in John 1.32. John the Baptist bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend upon heaven, from, descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Okay, so I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, right, so God sends me to baptize with water, he said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So the way that John the Baptist knew who the Son of God was is that the Spirit descended upon Jesus. That's how he knew. The descending of the Spirit at Jesus' baptism verified and testified that the Christ, the Son of God, is Jesus. The baptism of Jesus identified Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. He was already the Christ. This is what we believe, right? This is what we believe as a church. Jesus, he, he was already the Christ, the Son of God. But the baptism became a way in which this was revealed, in which God revealed this to John. In Matthew's gospel account of Jesus' baptism, we read this in Matthew 3, 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So God testifies to us who Jesus is through the witness of his baptism as Jesus Christ came through the water. And what we see here in 1 John in our text is that even more importantly than that, is that Jesus came by, and this is what he's emphasizing, right? He came by the water, not by, but not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Not by water only, but by the water and the blood. So the second witness that is now called to the stand is the blood. John declares that Jesus Christ came by or through the blood. And it seems clear here that the blood is a reference to the death of Jesus on the cross. The blood of Jesus refers to his death. And we know the significance of the blood. We, we, we sang about it, and I think the songs were amazing this morning. The blood of Jesus speaks for me. We know what that's referring to. It's his death on the cross. And at the end of the service, we're going to sing, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood. It is only on the basis of the blood, on the basis of Christ's death, that we can be forgiven of our sins and be brought into a right relationship with God. As we've seen in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, it is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Jesus Christ came through the blood the Christ did not in any way depart from Jesus prior to his death. Rather, the blood 
Christ's death, it revealed his true identity as the Christ, the, the Son of God. I love the response of the centurion in Mark 15, 39. He's watching Jesus die, and Jesus breathes his last breath, and he said this, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Remarkable. And so to deny the blood would be to deny the death of Christ and the saving benefits that it has for us. You see, the focus of the false teachers, and even the focus in our own day, right? We've experienced this in our own day, is to reject any notion of a sacrificial death in our place. And instead, the emphasis is on, wow, what a great teacher Jesus is. Because to accept the death of Christ and what it signifies for me, for us, says something about me, doesn't it? And my need for salvation. And for God to send His Son to die on a cross must therefore demand my all, it must demand my complete allegiance. And so people, people just don't they don't want this. They want, they want to get away from this. People want a Jesus that fits into their categories, into their world view, into their lifestyle. People want a Jesus that allows them to live however they want and be a ticket to heaven. Have you experienced that? You see this often. The third witness that's called to the stand is the Spirit. The Spirit Himself, as the one who is the truth, testifies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We saw this at His baptism, at Jesus' baptism. The Spirit descends upon Him, which verified the identity that Jesus was the Son of God and is the Son of God. And throughout Jesus' ministry, we always see the Holy Spirit testifying and bearing witness to Christ. And even after Jesus ascended into heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit of truth, who then taught the apostles and brought to their remembrance all that Jesus had said to them. John 16, 13 says this, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus is speaking. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit always, always, always glorifies Christ. God sends the Spirit to, to testify to Christ, to bear witness to Christ, to glorify Jesus. And this testimony that we have from God, this is the testimony that we have from God concerning Jesus. The water, the blood, and the Spirit. And they are all in agreement. This is God's testimony. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 19.15, it was on the evidence of two or three witnesses that a charge was established. And so for God to call three witnesses to the stand, 
He is validating who Jesus is. And if the testimony of men is received on the evidence of two or three witnesses, how much more God's testimony concerning Jesus, right? And so here we are on the jury. We've heard the testimony. We've seen the evidence. And the question now for us is this. How should we respond? What do we make of this evidence that we've seen and have heard? So consider with me the response. This is my second point. The response to God's testimony is to believe. We see it in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. Since God's testimony is greater than man's testimony, and since man's testimony is received on the evidence of, on the basis of two to three witnesses, how much more God's testimony is to be believed and received by us? The proper response to God's testimony concerning Jesus, concerning that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the promised king who rules and reigns, the proper response to Jesus is to believe, to place our faith in and trust in him. It is to accept the testimony of God. And that's exactly what we do as followers of Jesus. For those of us who have believed in the Son of God, for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ we have the testimony in ourselves. We have internalized it. We have made it our own. We have embraced it as truth. We have accepted God's word as the truth. As part of the jury, we have said and say, yes, 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 I believe. I believe in what you are saying about Jesus. We respond in faith. We respond by accepting God's testimony about him. Because at the end of verse 10, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. To reject the testimony of God is to reject what God's word says concerning Jesus. It is to make him a liar. To not believe in Christ is to call God a liar. To not accept that he is the son of God, to not embrace him as your Lord and Savior is to make God a, a liar. In fact, we cannot be indifferent. As a jury member, right? You can't be indifferent to the evidence that has been displayed for you. You can't. Because if we are, we are actually rejecting God's testimony about Him. And therefore, we are saying, God is a liar. And what's dangerous about this, it is ultimately a claim to know more than God. To not embrace Jesus, to not trust in God's Son as your Lord and Savior, is to, to say, God, I know better than you. 
So this is, this is my plea for all of us. If you're hearing this for the first time or for the thousandth time, and I seek to remind myself of this every single day, this is my plea. Believe God's testimony about Jesus. Believe the Word of God. Base your life upon God's Word and what He has said about Jesus. Be believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the promised King. He came to this earth to live a perfect life and He died on the cross. He died a, a sacrificial death for us. His death in our place is the only solution to our problem of sin. His blood is the only solution to our problem of separation from God. Through faith in Christ alone, as we embrace God's testimony concerning Jesus, we receive eternal life. And so if you have believed this testimony, this good news concerning Jesus, keep believing. Keep trusting in Christ. Third and finally, we see the result. The result of receiving God's testimony is eternal life. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We recognize that the result or outcome of receiving God's testimony is eternal life. God has given to those who trust in Christ eternal life already, but not yet in its fullness. Right? He who has the Son has life. And this life is in God's Son. It is a, a gift that we receive by faith in Christ. It is a gift for those who have the Son. Eternal life is given to those who confess and acknowledge Jesus as their Lord and Savior. To have the Son means that we have embraced Christ. It's connected to the idea of abiding in Jesus. 1 John 2 23 through 25. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. Eternal life is promised to those who abide in the Son, to those who confess Christ, and to those who have. Jesus. Because to have Jesus is to have eternal life for all eternity. Right? To have Jesus is to have life for all eternity. So the question for us as we close is this. this I, I didn't hear this personally, but while the students were at impact, there was an illustration very similar to this, and they shared it with me. So I'm picking up on one of the things that they had learned from this event last week. This was what they addressed even last week. 
And I think we need to hear it because of the connection between Jesus and eternal life. Here was the question, and here's the question for us. Is Jesus your ticket to heaven? Is Jesus your ticket to eternal life? Or is Jesus your treasure? Such that if Jesus isn't there, then do I want to be there? Let me illustrate this. This is kind of the illustration I heard from the students. I'll personalize it because I've experienced this. When, when my family and I go to the Wisconsin Dells, or we go to Omaha, we, we sometimes stay at, a, at a, uh, a water park, you know, and we go there and they've got an arcade in the actual park, right? So to take a break from uh, the water, we go to the arcade. We enjoy that time there. So we go down and, and, and we buy the kids tokens, and then what you do, obviously, with the tokens is you play the games. And you get a certain amount of tickets depending upon how you do. Right? So I think I've told you about this, actually. Johnny was playing one of the games, and he hit the jackpot. He got 1,000 tickets. Put it in, 1,000 tickets. They're just coming out. Here they come. You could see his excitement as the tickets came out of the machine. And as we played, his desire was for more tickets. He told Kate and Ellie and Ben, play the games that give you the most tickets. We're going to play this game. This one gives us tickets. And I was too. <laughs> I want more tickets. Here's the question. Why is he doing this? Are the kids, or am I, actually enamored with the tickets? It might appear that way. Did he love the tickets? Did I love the tickets? You see, Johnny and myself, right? We only wanted tickets because of what the tickets would get us. The ultimate prize was the new basketball. They wanted the prize. That's why the tickets were useful. The tickets were only a means to an end. They have no value except from what we can get from them. If there was another way to get the prize, and in fact there probably was, I give them a $20 bill. Here you go, guys, I want that basketball. If there was another way to get the prize, then who cares about the tickets? In fact, as soon as you turn those tickets in, you're not asking for them back. 
We wanted the prize. The question for us is this. Is Jesus just a ticket to get us the prize of eternal life? Or is Jesus actually the prize? Might we not use Jesus or see Jesus as a means to our own end, but as the end itself? Might Jesus be our greatest treasure and prize? God's testimony has revealed who Jesus is. If Jesus isn't there, I don't want to be there. Heaven without Jesus is hell. Let's not be indifferent to Him, but let's embrace Him and live our lives in such a way that that points to Jesus as our greatest treasure. Let's live in such a way that Jesus is our goal. That's where we want to be. Wherever He is, we want to be. Give me all the things of this world. Jesus isn't there. I don't want it. To have eternal life is to have Jesus now and forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our greatest treasure. The beauty of eternal life is that we get to be in your presence for all eternity. The beauty of your death on the cross and our trusting in that great work is that it brings us into a saving relationship with you now and forever. It brings us into your presence where we will bow down and worship you. Just as we said in the opening, as David declared in Psalm 27, your face, O Lord, is all I seek. Seek His face. Might your spirit work in us to point people to Jesus. Might the Spirit of God work in us to love Jesus, to love you more and more each day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.